Luke chapter number 2. Let's, let us start reading tonight in verse number 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that, that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Now, if we look into this particular passage, we see the end of the normal Christmas story. On Sunday, we read out of Matthew chapter number 1 and chapter number 2. And uh, today, we could, and I challenged you, hopefully you men, uh, you daddies especially, did this. Uh, I hope that you took some time over maybe Christmas Eve or Christmas Day and read to your family or to your wife or to yourself the Christmas story. But tonight I want to deal with, I guess you would say, part two of the Christ of Christmas. And tonight we're going to focus in on the phrase, the Son of God. So if you'll bear with me just a second, we're going to clear something up. I love technology, don't you? Verse number 35 of chapter number 1. I want to go back and read this. This is when Mary is receiving her message from the angel. And it says, The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also, listen to this, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now, I did not mention this on Sunday. I told you I was going to. But as we look back and we see in chapter number 2, verse number 11, uh, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is called Christ the Lord. In Isaiah chapter number 9, verse number 6, it says that a child is given, or a son, hold on a minute, a child is born, a son is given. And uh, I was going to say something about this on Sunday, but notice the wording there. A child is born, but a son is given. This was not specifically talking about the son that was born to Mary, but this was a a clue about the Son of God being given to all and for all men. So as we read these Christmas stories, we have to pick up on a few of these things. But in our message tonight, we, we recap just briefly with the names. Last Sunday, we talked about uh, Emmanuel, Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and then, as I've mentioned, tonight we will deal with the thought of the Son of God. Now, I do have a, a, a second point 
but I doubt I'm going to get to it. So I kind of scared some folks. Uh, I've actually only got three pages. Um, one of those is the second point. So I think if we hurry and y'all say amen and shout real loud, we can probably go home early tonight. Or we may be a little bit late. Depends on how good you are. But we're going to continue the thought that we started, the Christ of Christmas, with this, the Son of God. Here in chapter number 1 of Luke, verse number 35, he says, His, He shall be born and called the Son of God. So this phrase that we see here, it is the name of Christ, of course, but it is found in your Bible 48 times in 47 verses. So nearly everyone, all but three New Testament writers, call Jesus Christ the Son of God. Those three writers were Peter, James, and Jude. They did not mention him as the Son of God. They did not give him that title. But as you read the text of their books, you'll find that they too agreed with that title, that he was the Son of God. But not only is this found so many times, but the first mention and then the only mention in the Old Testament is in Daniel chapter number 3, verse number 25. And I do want to read over there. And I know that if you've been reading any time at all your Bible, you're going to know exactly what I'm turning to. It says uh, that King Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And so this is the first time that you see these words mentioned in your King James Bible. And it is the only time mentioned in the Old Testament. The other 47 times are all in the New Testament. John Gill said this, The human nature of Christ is here in our text called a thing. Notice what it says. It says, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, that's Mary. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So John Gill said, the human nature of Christ here is called a thing, for it was not a person. It never existed of itself, but was taken at once into union with the person of the Son of God. Otherwise, there would be two persons in Christ, whereas he is God and man in one person. He says, if he had been Christ, this human child and human child alone, then in Christ he would have to bear two persons. But because the angel said that this thing is going to be called the Son of God, that humanity of God is now at one with the deity of God. And so he is two in one, as I mentioned Sunday. But here he is called the Son of God. John 3.16 says that he is God's only begotten Son of God. And so we find that this humanity is now part of the deity of Christ. Now, if, you have, we, if you've read your Bible at all, you know that there's another phrase very similar to Son of God, and that is Sons of God. 
a few weeks ago around our supper table. Brother Dean at one end, myself at the other. Some young men sat around us and the ladies in the living room, no doubt listening to what was said. The sons of God came up. The subject of the sons of God came up. But listen to this. Angels and men in your Bible are both called sons of God. Angels are called this either because of creation, because they were created by God, therefore they carry that that name, the sons of God, or because they resemble God as spiritual beings, because John said that God is a spirit. And so it is possible that the angels are called sons of God because of creation or because they are spiritual beings as God is. But then men are called sons of God only by adoption. But the Son of God, the title, the Son of God, belongs only to the Savior by inherent right. There is no other man, woman, boy, or girl, there is no other being, no matter what species it may be, that can be considered the Son of God. You read your Bible, you, you can get any book that you want to off the shelf, and there will only be one Son of God. And He was born to Mary in Bethlehem. He was born as a carpenter's son, but He grew up to be the Savior of all mankind. This is the Son of God. More often than not, this title, Son of God, was given to Christ by other men. We find that uh, in this he accepted it, though, in such a way as to assert his claim to it. He was mentioned, it was mentioned by the high priest, it was mentioned by the Pharisees, it was, he was called the Son of God by many other people, and very rarely, Kurt, did he call himself the Son of God, or the Son of Man, or the Son of David, but it was given to him by other men. But nearly every time he was called the Son of God, it was in a question, and he accepted that title that was given to him freely, and so asserted himself, though he did not have to say it himself, as the Son of God. And so the Gospels also, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and just, just for kicks and giggles, I want to remind you again that Mark and Luke were not disciples of Jesus Christ. They did not walk with Jesus Christ. They did not follow Him around. I believe that they may have heard of Him from a distance. They may have even known Him. They may have heard Him preach. But Matthew and John were Jesus' disciples. And so it was firsthand stories of what had happened to Jesus Christ or in his life. But Mark, also known as John Mark, and then Luke, the doctor Luke, uh, they both wrote their gospel after Christ was crucified, after they got all of the information from the other disciples. But here we are reading the, one of the most intimate records of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter number 2. Uh, one, because Luke was a doctor, so he knew some, some intimate things about how birth was and how his death was. But I believe that somewhere along the line, I, I firmly believe every word of Scripture is ordained and inspired by God himself. And so somewhere along the line, old Dr. Luke got a hold of something and he began to write about this 
Son of God, as he was called by the angel. And so in this, the Gospels trace connections to the Son of God in at least four different ways, one in each Gospel. Matthew connects the title Son of God with the calling out uh, of Jesus from Egypt. We find in Matthew chapter number 2, in verse number 15, that he says, and was there they, Mary, Martha, not Martha, she, she was probably at a hotel sick somewhere. Uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. We look at Mark chapter number 1 and we see his connection to the Son of God. He connects it with the commencement of Christ's public ministry in Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What happens here is the very first thing we find in Mark chapter number 1, the book of Mark, is we find a little bit about John the Baptist and then boom, the ministry of Christ takes hold and he begins to work miracles and work for the Father. And then in the book of Luke, we find in chapter number 1, here in verse number 35, again, the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So Luke connects the Son of God with the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, we find that John, the great apostle John, finds in chapter number 1, verse number 1 and 14, he traces the sonship of Jesus Christ before time ever began. In verse number 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse number 14, the Bible says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we find here that each of the gospel writers, they knew that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, but yet they connected that sonship in a little bit different way. So as you read your Bible, you find that, number one, these writers all had a different writing style. We could be given a, an assignment to write an essay specifically on something. And I would dare say that every one of us here tonight would write in a different manner. Uh, I'm not talking about grammar and punctuation. I'm not talking about the quantity of our writing, but I'm talking about the style. And so as you read the Word of God and you see it talking about the Son of God, know that it is coming to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But the way that it gets there there is going to show it in a different light. That's what's so amazing about the Word of God. So, what do we take away from the Son of God? Well, let's open our Bibles and let's look in mostly 1 John for just a few minutes. In 1 John, we find that if we're going to take anything from the Son of God in verse number or chapter number 5, verse number 13, we see that it must be our faith. If we're going to take anything from the Son of God, it must be our faith. He says in verse number 13 of 1 John, 
chapter number 5. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. I'm about to run. And that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. I want you to know tonight if there's any doubt of your salvation, if you have believed on the Son of God, you are as surely saved today as I'm a fat, red-headed preacher. I want you to know today you have absolutely no worrying. You need not fret. You need not fuss. You need not wring your hands or bite your nails. If you're believing in the Son of God, then bless God, you're saved by God. God's amazing grace. Then we find, what are we supposed to take from this title, the Son of God? We find that it is our source of light, uh, life. Go back one verse in chapter 5, verse number 12. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And so once again, if you have, we just had revival. And, and it has often been called a reviving. A, a, it, it is to bring life back into us. And I do not disagree with that. Uh, but listen, I want you to know, no matter how long the desert time has been for you, no matter how long you've been in a dry, barren place, no matter how long it's been since you've had water or food or sustenance, no matter how long it's been since you've been blessed by the presence of God, the Bible says if you have the Son of God, you are alive. Amen. Somebody asked, maybe it was Jonathan Ashton today, uh, something or another, you know, how's it going, everything all right, one of those questions. And uh, he said, I don't know, I really didn't know how to answer it. And John said, well, you woke up this morning, right? You're alive, you're breathing, you can blink, you can see. And praise God, we have life. But even more so than that, if we, are, if we believe in the Son of God, then we have life. John said that we have life more abundantly. It is not just life as far as breathing and, and living and walking, but it is eternal life. It is a life that will never run out. It is a, listen, you may die here on this earth, but you are not dead because you've got eternal life tonight if you believe in the Son of God. So what are we to take away from this title, the Son of God? Well, we, it must be our faith. It, it is our source of life. But then in chapter number 4, verse number 15, we find that whosoever shall confess Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. So it should ever be our testimony. If someone asks me today about my daddy, uh, they may ask me how his health is. They may ask me what his wealth is. They may ask me any uh, myriad of questions today. And I might be able to tell them. I could tell them, as I told you a few weeks ago, about my daddy's testimony, how that he was rough and gruff before he got saved. And sometimes he's been rough and gruff since then. Uh, but thank God I was there when he changed. I saw the old man disappear. I told my straight disappeared when my daddy got saved. And I don't know I don't know how to explain it. But when he went down, he was wicked. He back to run, Brother Jim. He was wicked and he was vile. But honey, when he 
Jesus came up, there was a love that I never seen in my daddy. There was a life that I never seen. Oh, there was a new man. You say, why are you telling daddy? Oh, because I, I was a pretty good old boy. Oh, nobody really knew what was deep in my heart. I sang in the choir. I played the guitar. I tried to pick on the piano. I sang specials. I went out in the woods and preached, but I was lost without God. And nobody can look at me and see, but they can look at my daddy and see. But honey, when he got saved, there was a change. But I want you to know today, uh, because the Son of God dwelleth in me, uh, this little goody two shoes, uh, when he bowed his head on the back bumper of his daddy's truck, I'm talking about me in case y'all didn't know, uh, when I went down a sinner, bless God, I came up a saint, and I've been a saint of God. I ain't never been perfect, and I probably never will here on this earth. Uh, but one of these days, uh, because he dwelleth in me, and I dwell in him, I'm forever, I'm forever, I'm forever got a testimony that I'm saved by the grace of God. What are we supposed to take from, from this title, the Son of God? Well, in John, 1 John, chapter number 5, verse number 5, we find that this title, the Son of God, is our only avenue of victory over the world. I've said it before, and I'll probably say it again. Every once in a while, I'll get cocky, and i say, I can't wait to whoop the devil. I ain't had that opportunity yet. Me and Brother John were talking this morning, and man, the devil will win victory after victory in my life sometimes. I think I'm strong. He done whooped me. I'm laying on the ground, beaten, bruised, bloodied, battered. I'm talking about war out. But man, when I let the Lord, when I let the Son of God fight my battle, That was a battle one day. It was my fate, if I could say it like that. My eternity was in the balance. I was going to hell. There was nothing I could do to get out of that damnation. There was no good that I could do. There was no amount of money that I could pay. There, 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 there was absolutely nothing that I could do in and of myself. So the only thing that I knew to do, Michael, was to throw myself at the mercy of Christ. But I'm glad to report to you that, that near, nearly or just past 2,000 years ago, Jesus himself became sin for me. He became sin for you. Not only did he become sin, but he freely laid down his life on that cross on the top of that hill called Golgotha. Not only did he lay down his life, but he allowed those soldiers to drive those nails into his hands and feet. He allowed those soldiers to pick his bloodied body up and drop him into that hole. He allowed those soldiers and those company of people around about him a curse and mock him and throw stones and sticks. And, and as he was walking to Calvary, a beat on him and, and received that, those stripes. He allowed those things to happen. He allowed every, every curse word to be thrown his way. He allowed the vinegar and the gall to be placed on his lips. He allowed those birds to circle him, just waiting for him to die. But I'm glad that when he said, it is finished, and he gave up the ghost, as far as I'm concerned, that right there is when Jesus Christ won the victory for my soul. You see, Joseph of Arabia. 
Arimathea, he came and took down the body of Jesus. He placed it in a tomb that Jesus or, or Joseph had never been in before. Uh, there's a song, I met alive, I wish I could sing it. There's a song, A Buried and Borrowed Tomb. And I want you to know today when Joseph and those people anointed Jesus bought it and put him in the tomb, it wasn't for a lifetime. Uh, Joseph could have it back in a matter of days. He could do whatever he wanted to after that. Jesus just needed it, the song says, uh, to change clothes because uh, he was going back home uh, to his father. And on that third day, he got up. And I believe the book of Revelation said that he's got the keys of death and hell. Honey, don't you know, uh, down here we talk about the devil in his home. Wouldn't it be something, Ashton, if I went to your mama's house and I whooped up on everybody in there and I got the keys to your mama's house and Mr. Tim's house and said, now you can live here, uh, but I got the keys. And you want to know what happened on Calvary? You want to know what happened in the grave? Uh, Jesus Christ went to hell and whooped up on everybody that he needed to, preached the gospel to everybody else that he needed to, and he got the keys to the devil's house, and he's victorious over the devil, over the grave, over death, over sin, over everything that you and I could ever fight against. I want you to know, uh, what are we supposed to do uh, with this title, the Son of God? It needs to, we need to know that it is our only avenue for victory over the world. Only avenue. We could try, we can fight, but I guarantee you, you try to do it yourself, you'll spend every dime you got. Or you'll be broker and cooter brown. I want you to know tonight, if you try to do it by yourself, or you'll run everything that you've ever loved away. Or you'll go crazy trying to do it yourself. But if you'll just give in to the Son of God and realize that He and He alone is the Son of God, and He is the only one that can give you victory. So there's a question that every man must answer. And that is found in the book of John, chapter number 9. The book of John, chapter number 9. We find this question. At the very end, you'll see it written in red. Dost thou believe on the Son of God? We just said... What should we do? What should we take from this title, the Son of God? Well, you must answer the question. Dost thou believe on the Son of God? You see, there's really only one answer. And that's found in Acts chapter number 8, verse 37. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Mayest be what? Be baptized. And he answered and said, Here's, here, if, you're, if you're pondering that question tonight, dost thou believe on the Son of God? Here's the only answer that will work. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. No other answer will work. You see, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He, he is not a way, but He is the only way. And the only way that you can get to heaven and have this victory and this testimony and this life and this faith that we just spoke about, the only way is to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son 
of God. 